Thanks for joining us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Take a second and send your story to amen at citychurchfl.org. And if you'd like to partner with this ministry financially, you can do that by going to citychurchfl.org slash give and select the giving option that works best for you. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Hey, today we're beginning a journey. We're beginning a journey on the, through the book of First Peter, A Living Hope. A couple of weeks ago, we finished a series on the book of Ruth, and I got to tell you, it was one of the, for me personally, it was one of the funnest stories, one of the funnest series to preach in the history of my ministry. And, and today we're going to take a little different approach. We're going we're gonna to speak to you on the book of 1 Peter. And people say, well, why did you choose 1 Peter? You got 66 books to choose from. Well, first of all, it's short. Everyone say short. And we like short, right? It's got 105 verses. You can read it in about 25 minutes. The second thing is it's fairly simple. You can read it simply. You might not always understand or be able to practice uh, initially, but it is simple. And thirdly, I believe that it speaks to us today. I believe that the book of First Peter speaks to this generation. As we do here at City Church, we stand in the honor of reading God's word. And so I want you to stand with me as we read First Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read the first nine verses. The first nine verses. Uh, listen, as we're going, we're going, to, we're going to go, they call this expository. We're going to be going verse by verse through this, through this short little book. And I would really encourage you to bring your Bibles Bring however, however you study the Bible, bring your iPads. If you don't know, if you've never done it before, there's actually an app called Uversion or Bible Gateway, but Uversion is the app that I use, and you can go on and you can download, and it has the Bible in over a thousand languages. It has the Bible in as many different translations as you can possibly wrap your brain around, and so I would encourage you to do that, and you can follow along as we're in service uh, here today, but also in your own daily Bible reading. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and the Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the refugees, or to the pilgrims of the dispersia, the King James says. The NIV says, to God's elect, or exiles that have been scattered. Scattered throughout, throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification by the Spirit, for obedience. And blessing with the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has given us a new birth. Everyone say new birth. And to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an incorruptible and undefiled inheritance that does not fade away. Kept in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, if for a little while, you've had to suffer various trials, in order that the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tried by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, and in whom, though you do not see him now, you believe and you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory." receiving as the result of your faith the salvation of your soul. And this morning I want to talk to you about the Christian life or the pilgrim's life, a life of hope. The pilgrim's life, a life of hope. Hey, I got some good news and I got some sad news today. The good news today, our, our Go Missions team is taking 17 people to, to uh, rescue, I'm sorry, what's the name of the mission? 
City of Refuge in Kingston, Jamaica, and uh, they are leaving on Tuesday night, and so we're going to pray for them as, they, as they're preparing to go. I'm so excited for the sacrifice and, and the saving and all those who worked so hard to make this trip possible. I want to thank Mike and Joe Rivera for their excellent work. Come on, drink. Go drink, Timbers. Thank you. And then I have some sad news. One of our founding members, Irene Pelletier, went home to be with the Lord Friday morning. And uh, so we're going to pray for her family. She lived, lived a great life. She loved Jesus. And, uh, and so we're going to pray for the family today. But will you join with me as I pray? Father, uh, thank you uh, for the work of your spirit that we've already sensed. Thank you that we can walk with you, but more importantly, that you walk with us. Thank you that you are here today revealing your grace, revealing your love, re revealing your kindness to us, your people. And God, I pray for every person in this room that you'll give them an ear to hear. And Lord, you'll give me a mouth to speak. Lord, we need you today. God, I, I pray, Lord, that, that as our mission team, Go Missions team prepares uh, in the next two days, I just pray a sense of unity and camaraderie and a sense of grace. And thank you that you've provided what they had need of, Lord. And I'm asking, Lord, as they minister to the children at this orphanage, I, I pray pray, Lord, for grace. I pray for strength. I, I pray, Lord, as they minister to the workers and, and the leaders there at the orphanage, I, I pray, Lord, that they'll be encouraged. Lord, that we'll be like a cool cup of cold water on a hot day. The team will bring life and encouragement to those they serve. Lord, I pray for uh, Irene's family today. I pray for her son and, and for her daughter. Lord, you know the relationships there. And I, I pray for grace to, to touch that family. I pray, Lord, that as a congregation and as a family, as we rally around to, to remember her life and to celebrate her life, God, I, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be ministers of reconciliation in this home. God, we bless them today. We thank you for the testimony of her life and her faithfulness to you and to your people. God, now I ask that your grace and your spirit would fill our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. It was 1987, the beginning of September. My wife and I had gotten married August 28th, and, and uh, we spent a couple of days uh, there in Portland where we were living at the time. We met at Portland Bible College, and and uh, we had decided that we would leave Portland. We'd go back to where I had grown up, my hometown, Tucson, Arizona. And so we took a journey. We took a, we took a trip. And after a couple of days in Portland celebrating our honeymoon, we, we went from Portland to Tucson and by way of I-5. I-5 is the main corridor that goes up and down from, from the Canadian border, Vancouver, down to Tijuana border, all the way down through Washington, Oregon, and California. And, and it's a beautiful trip. I mean, it's, it's full of... I mean, beautiful scenery, mountains and, and uh, lakes. It's just a really, really beautiful trip. And somewhere around Northern California, where the Redwood Forest is, uh, uh, we were pulling. We had two vehicles. We had a 1987 Chrysler uh, uh, LeBaron, and we had a, uh, we had a 1987 Toyota Tercel. And uh, so we were driving these two vehicles, and I was pulling a 6x12 U-Haul, and, and had all of our earthly possessions, about three-quarters of them were books, because we had spent many years in school together, and, and it was loaded with books and a couple of little trinkets that we had picked up along the way. And, and as we were going down the I-5 uh, corridor, uh, we got through a place through the mountain range where it had been really, really curvy, and then I, I was coming down this steep cliff and as I started making my way down this cliff I noticed that the trailer behind me was starting to do one of these it was just starting to sway first it was just like six inches and uh, I was uh, I'm a little bit of a factoid and somewhere along the way I had read that if you're pulling a trailer because your first reaction when a trailer starts to sway behind you is to do what hit the brake right you want to stop 
And so my first reaction was I wanted to hit the brake, but somewhere in my mind I remembered, no, if it, starts to, if it starts to sway behind you, you should speed up. And so I was going about 60 miles an hour and two-lane road, mountain highway, and the trailer starts to swerve. It's first at six inches, then it's one foot, then it's two feet. And before I knew it, this trailer, this U-Haul trailer was going from one side of the road all the way to the other, and I was panicking. And I, I had the foresight. However it happened, I had a Holy Ghost inspirational moment. And I remembered that fact, and so I picked up speed. So I went from 60 miles an hour to 70 miles an hour, from 70 miles an hour to 80 miles an hour, from 80 miles an hour to 90 miles an hour. And about 90 miles an hour, pulling this 6x12 U-Haul trailer, my wife and I, at that time, we didn't have cell phones. This is 1987, and we were communicating by walkie-talkie, and I had this walkie-talkie over in the seat next to me, and I could hear her screaming, slow down, slow down, and I was screaming as loud as I could without pushing the button. <laughs> I can't, I can't. And by the time I hit 105 miles an hour, that thing started to straighten out, and I finally got it completely straight when I hit 115. <laughs> My journey, my trip had some unexpected turns in it. And the fact is today we live our lives as Christians as a journey. And as we're going through the book of 1 Peter, we will see this. We, we will see that Peter is writing to some Christians who are on a long journey. As a matter of fact, from the place that they started to the place that they now live, think about this, there's no modern travel, there's no buses or trains or automobiles or, or planes. They, they simply had to walk and maybe took an occasional ship, but they went almost 2,500 miles from the place that they were Paul or Peter was writing to the place that they were now currently living. They were on a journey. Our Christian life is like a journey. Our Christian life is a, is a life that we start at the place of new birth, or we start at the place of physical birth, and then as Christ followers, that somewhere along the line, we hear the message of good news, and we experience new birth, and then we start a life with God. Now, we'd like our life with God to be from A to Z, right? We're like, we start here, finish here, everything's smooth, roses, smells good, feels good, looks good, right? No pain, no suffering, no problems, but that's not the reality of life that we live in. As a matter of fact, last week, one of the, the young girl that was speaking on this topic of First Peter, she, she said that we live in a broken world. And we do live. We live in a fallen world. And there's all kinds of problems. And there's all kinds of issues. And along this journey, along this journey of life, it's more like this. If you've ever driven along the North Carolina, Mount, the Blue Mountain Ridge, I think it's called. You ever driven along that, that highway there? It winds and it goes up and it goes. That's beautiful. And waterfalls. And, you know, we start off at A. We go to B. And then we go to E. And then we come back to C. And, you know, it's not a straight line. And the fact is, it's not a straight line because, because we are involved in it. We're making choices in it, and we're not perfect, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And, and so what we need is a roadmap. We need a roadmap to get from A to B to C to the ultimate destination that God has prepared for every person. That's the, an eternity with him. And the roadmap that God has given to us is the Bible. It's God's word. It's the living love letter. Peter was a close friend of Jesus. He was, he was, he, he was a, a guy that had spent three years with Jesus. And, and Peter writes to us, and he, he gives us some markers along this roadmap. 
Now, we don't use physical maps often any longer, but the heart behind every map is a person who's gone down a certain trail or walked down a certain path or, or experienced a certain a journey. They leave a marker. They, 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 they put destination points so that we know how to get from, from New York to Chicago. I mean, someone had to blaze the trail. Someone had to blaze the trail from the East Coast to the West Coast. If you've ever lived on the West Coast, you've gone the Lewis and Clark Trail, and you see the terrain that those guys went through to to discover the Oregon and the Washington uh, Territory. It was phenomenal. And they left road marks. They left markers that would, would designate the spots that they had been along the way. And the scriptures give us road marks of how to live this Christian life, of how to walk out our life of faith. And so Peter has some road marks, and the first road mark that he talks about is the road mark of salvation, experiencing a relationship with the living God. We sing about it, we talk about it, we preach about it, we hope to live by the purposes and the plans of this life. Peter talks about this great salvation. And then he talks about the work of sanctification. Everyone say sanctification. Sanctification just literally means to be set apart for a purpose. But it has to do with the kind of choices that we make. A life of holiness, wholeness, being set apart for God's divine purpose. And Peter talks about this. Much of this book is about living a life separated as Christ followers. And then he talks about it, a very unusual theme. He talks about submission. Submission in our culture has become a dirty word. When we talk about submission, we're not a culture that easily submits. We, we, would, we would rather rebel. We'd rather fight. We'd rather choose our own path, our own way, our own destiny. But in the scriptures, in the scriptures, when you read the Bible, you will see this concept of coming up under authority over and over and over again. Because submission to God is a reflection of how we relate to him. If we can understand how authority works in this life, then we can understand how authority works in the afterlife, in the everlasting life, in God's life. When Jesus lived on planet Earth, the thing that amazed him the most, there was two times that Jesus was amazed. The one time that Jesus was amazed by a person who was, a, who was not a Jewish person was a Roman centurion because he understood the power of authority. He understood that when when he spoke, the men underneath him had to respond. When he came to Jesus and he wanted to see his servant healed, he said, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to even come into my home, but just simply speak the word and my servant will be healed. And the Bible says that Jesus was amazed at his faith because he understood the power of authority. And Peter's going to talk about submission to authority, our relationship to government, our relationship to our family, our relationship between husband and wives and children, our, our bosses. He's going, to, he's going to walk down this trail with us as we, as we take this journey, as we follow this roadmap that Peter lays out for the Christian life. Then he talks about suffering. The people that Peter was reading, writing to, they were suffering. They were experiencing pain. One of the pocket promises of Jesus that we don't like to carry in our front pocketbook is Jesus said, in this life, you will suffer tribulation. You will experience suffering. You will experience pain. So much of our life is fighting against suffering. So much of what we experience is fighting against pain and problems so that we can have a preferred future. I thank God that sometime back in the 1930s, there was a guy that lived here in Florida that decided that the pain of humidity was too great for him and tried to figure out how to create AC. Someone said amen? amen. Right? 
I mean, so much of our life is to try to figure out how to get to a place of comfortability, a place of, of ease, a, a, a place, a, a, a zone where life's just going smooth. And it's okay. It's our human nature. But Peter talks about suffering and how we relate to suffering and understanding God's plan behind it. And then ultimately all this leads to the purpose, the purpose of why we're here today, so that we can spend eternity with Jesus. So that, so that in our hearts, that we understand today that we're just pilgrims passing through. That we're foreigners, we're aliens. Everyone say aliens. Every believer on the planet is just an alien. This earth is not your home. You're a pilgrim just passing through. And so Peter writes with this heart, with this understanding, with this expectation that the believers would not get stuck in the here and now, but there would be a hope for eternity because it's the tension that every single one of us feels. See, we can't see eternity. We can't see the future. We can't see heaven. We can't see that with our natural eye, but inside of our spiritual heart, the moment we become Christ followers, the moment we say yes to Jesus, there's something that is birthed inside of us, a longing for life forever, a longing to be with God, a longing to be in this place called heaven. And so Paul writes from this backdrop. Along this journey, there, there's this, these experiences that Christians have that we have to walk through. One of the things, as you see this story, as you see this letter uh, begin, to un, de, uh, begin to develop, as we begin to walk through this letter, you will see two things. One, you will see that believers never traveled alone. Christians never traveled alone. As a matter of fact, when Peter wrote this book, he wrote it with a guy by the name of Sylvanus. Sylvanus was the guy who scribed the words that Peter told him. You see, Peter never did ministry alone. As a matter of fact, when you look at the Gospels, this guy Peter, you, you see that he always was with somebody, ministering and serving and, and helping other people. You're not created to do life alone. Second thing is that every believer had a recognition and must have an understanding that the Holy Spirit is at work and alive and dwelling inside of them. See, these two things you must have as your companions, as you journey along this life, as you're walking as pilgrims and aliens, those who are to taking a trip through this earthly life. You've got to have other believers. You have other people that you're, you're walking through this journey with, and you've got to rely and depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit. This week, uh, we're launching small groups here at City Church, and, and uh, you came, when you came in today, you got a connect card. It's actually a small group connection card. You also should have gotten a brochure like this, and if you didn't get it, I would encourage you to get one of these today. And inside of here, it lists all the different small groups that are taking place during the summer. And I want to encourage you, if you've not gotten into a small group before, if you, if you haven't had an opportunity to, to care for others, to pray for others, to study the Bible with other people, to really get to know other Christians at the city church uh, uh, environment, I would encourage you to pick this up. If you've been here for a long time and you're contemplating whether or not you should do a small group this summer, even if you're going to be on vacation, get into a group. See, the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives today. God is, God is taking us through this journey of life. We're walking along the purpose and the plan that he has for us, and we can't do this alone. As I look at our text, as we dive into verse number one, I want you to see this morning three things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the, the pilgrim's election. We're going to talk about the pilgrim's praise, and we're going to talk about the pilgrim's pain. 
So I want you to look at verse number one with me. The Bible says Peter. Everyone say Peter. Peter, his name in the Greek was Petros. Peter was kind of a sketchy guy. As a young man, he was brash, he was bold, he was loud, he was cocky. He, he had a lot of things in the natural that, were, that would drive him to anger and frustration with other people. And when Christ called him, Christ called him, Christ changed his name. He said, you will no longer be called Simon. You will now be called Peter, Petros. And upon this Petros, I will build my church. You see, Peter, as you read the New Testament, you will see that there are three primary people that are, that are written about. First is Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Second is Paul the Apostle. And the third is Peter. We know a lot about his life. We know at least about his younger life. We know a lot about his ministry because much of the New Testament is dedicated to either telling his story or repeating the things that he's telling other people and how they should live their life. And so this guy, Peter, is an apostle, one who was sent of the Lord Jesus Christ to the refugees. This word here is interesting in the Greek because some translations use the word to the scattered ones or to those who've been dispersed or to the elect, the, those who God foreknew who would be saved to the refugees, to the pilgrims, to the dispersion, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. See, God from the beginning of time, God from the beginning of time, God knew you. I love what the prophet Jeremiah writes when he talks about his own experience with God. He says that the Lord told me that before I was in my mother's womb, before I was born, God knew me. And God called me to be a spokesperson to be one who declared the truth to a generation. You see, God knew you before the foundation of the world. God knew these people, these dispersed ones, these scattered ones, these ones who were experiencing persecution. You see, when I look at the life of Peter, it gives me hope today because Peter was a sketchy guy. When you read his testimony and his life and some of the things that he did, how he denied Christ and in the garden he cuts off a guy's ear and he's at some point later, even after, after he's filled with the Holy Spirit and the church is, is started and he's pastoring and he's leading and he's teaching other people, he still makes mistakes. But God chose him. And God's chosen you. You see, yesterday's faults do not define your destiny. It's what you choose today after you get up and say, you know what, God, I need you today. And so Peter makes this choice. He, he's serving God. He's one who is sent. He's walking out the purpose and the plan of God. And look what he says here, to these refugees, to these elect ones, to these scattered ones. The scattered ones were being persecuted. Why were they scattered? Why did they leave their hometown? Why did they leave their home city of Rome and take this trip to Bithynia, to Galatia, to Cappadocia? Why did they go to these different cities? Do you know why they went? Because they were under persecution. You see, the period that Peter wrote this was around 64 AD, and during this period, Nero was, was the emperor. He was, a, he was the most powerful man of the world. As a matter of fact, Rome was a country that literally dictated and controlled and dominated the whole known world of their generation. The Roman, the Roman army was the most powerful military of that generation. And, and what they had done is they had created a system of roads from one community to the next community to the next city. And these Romes were, were to be protected by Roman soldiers so that they could have free trade. 
free commerce because they were all about prosperity, but they were also about doing life by themselves. They were people who were polytheistic. The Roman people believed in multiple gods. They had all kinds of different gods that they would worship and serve. And and not only that, they were a politically corrupt culture. And Nero was no different than many politicians today. And he'd like to take problems that were were really his, and he liked to lay the blame upon other people. And in 64 AD, Rome almost burned to the ground. Uh, there were 14 different little pockets uh, of communities in the Rome, Roman, uh, Romans in Rome at that time, and 11 of them completely burned to the ground. And the people were saying, where is Nero? Where is Nero? And they began to blame him. They actually said that he was playing the lyre or playing the fiddle while Rome burned to the ground. And so in order for him to deflect the criticism, he saw Christians as an easy out. You see, because Christians were a peculiar people. Now, see, what the Romans wanted to do is they wanted to keep control. They didn't want anybody getting out of hand. You could do your little religious practices as long as your, your practice didn't invade anybody else's space. As long as what you believed didn't influence anybody else, you could do whatever you wanted. You could keep it inside your four walls. We're fine. As long, but as, the moment it started to get a little contentious, the moment as your faith started having conflicts with the Roman values, there was a problem. And so Nero did what any good politician did. He, he took the responsibility that was his, and he shifted it over to the Christians. And he began to blame these monotheistic, these Jewish people who had come to faith in Christ. He began to blame them. He began to, to blame these people who had practiced monogamy because they believed in a separate life unto God. He, he began to blame these people who literally saw God do miracles. And the reason he was blaming them is because Roman citizens were becoming born again. Roman citizens were experiencing Christ, and there was a revolution that was beginning to to take place in the hearts and lives of people as they didn't follow Nero as their God. They began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as their God. You see, because these Christians had only one king, they wouldn't bow to Nero. They'd only bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of that, because of that, he started to persecute them. One of the ways that he, he would persecute them is he would take Christians and he would dip them in oil. And he would wrap them in rags and he would tie them upon stakes and he would line the road. You can read this in history. He would line the Roman roads with Christians using them as human torches. He would take these Christian people and, and he would, they would kill animals and they would wrap them in the animal skin and they would throw them into the Colosseum where the lions and the wild beasts would devour them and take them apart. He was a brutal man. And so because of that, Christians begin to run, they begin to flee, and that's exactly the people that Peter is writing to. Peter's writing to this group of Christians who've been scattered. They've experienced persecution. They've experienced pain. You say, well, why? Why would God allow these good people, these good Christ followers, they weren't creating problems in their culture. They were trying to serve their generation. They were trying to serve their culture. They were trying to help people and heal people. Why would God allow that? You see, God had a greater glory in their life. God didn't want to get them, God did not want them to get too comfortable. He didn't want them to get too comfortable in the prosperity and the peace that the Romans had provided for them as citizens of that great nation. See, God had a greater plan. And these people became scattered ones. Ones who had been dispersed to the ends of the earth. You see, when we look at this here, we see the working of God in their life because God had selected them. God had chosen them to be his own. Look at verse number two. The Bible says, the elect, the chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. See, the Father, the Father knew them. The Father called them. 
And this, I want you to hear this today because so many times we get caught up on certain theological terms and words, and this word has a lot of theological underpinnings to it. But the practicality of it here today for you and I is that God knew you. God chose you. God, God choosing you does not preclude that God didn't choose other people. As a matter of fact, if you continue to read this book, you'll find that Peter tells the Christians, God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of the Son as their Savior. You see, the heart of God, the heart of Jesus is for the whole world. And God chose these people by the foreknowledge of God the Father. What I love about this verse here is we see the triunity of the Godhead at work. It was the foreknowledge of the Father. It was a sanctification the setting apart for holy purpose of his spirit, for obedience and the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we see the triunity of the Godhead involved in your salvation today. Those of us who've said yes to Christ, those of us who've responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, those of us who've allowed Jesus to come into our hearts and to, and to reside within, those of us in that moment... In that moment, we are responding what the Father had already known from the beginning of the world. See, the Father cares today. The Father loves today. It gives us comfort and hope, knowing that the Father, from the creation of the world, created us to be blameless and holy in his sight. You see, the Father chose us before birth. The, the God called us by, the Holy, by his Holy Spirit to be set apart and made into the image of Christ through sanctification. And he cleansed us. He cleansed us by God the Son on the cross at the shedding of his blood. See, his father, as the Father was concerned, I was saved before the foundation of the world. As far as the Lord Jesus Christ was concerned, I was saved when he died on the cross for my sins. You see, what I believe today is that when Christ went to, to the cross, he looked down the quarters of history for all time, and he saw you. You see, Jesus loved you so much. Jesus cared about you so much that if you were the only one, if you were the only one, if it was you that took the nails and drove it into the palm of his hands and, into the, and drove that spike into his feet, if it was you that beat him on the back with the crown of nine tails, if it was you that placed the, the, crown, the, the thorns upon his head, if it was you, he would have died for. See, Jesus cares. Jesus loves the world. He loved you. And see, by the cross of Christ, it was in that moment that Christ saw me and the Holy Spirit by his convicting power, brought me to new birth on November 17th, 1983. See, the triunity of the Godhead is at work. The glory of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God is at work in each of our lives today. And I want you to see what happens here in verse number three. You see, the, the pilgrim that God has created you and I to be, God's created us, and look what it says. Because of this relationship, we, pray, we give praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our new birth, who according to his abundant mercy, has given us new birth. You see, at new birth, at our physical birth, we received the DNA cocktail that our parents brought to the table. We, we received the genetic makeup that our parents brought together. At our, at our physical birth, we inherit our, our ethnicity. At our physical birth, we received a social economic status that our parents had lived in at that time. But our new birth, we experience a new life, a new family, a new father. 
a new savior, a new source of strength. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. It's the why behind our praise. The why behind your praise, the why behind my praise, the reason we sing songs of praise to God today is because of this new birth, this salvation experience, this being born again, this being transformed and made into the image of Christ. The Lord Jesus today gave his life. His blood was shed on Calvary so that we could walk in obedience and fulfill the plan that he's created for you and I by the power of his spirit. And see, it's a living hope. A new birth into a living hope. What does the new birth produce? What does the salvation experience produce? It produces a hope and a preferred future. You see, we live with this tension between the already and the not yet. And sometimes we can get so stuck in the immediate, in the moment, in the mundane things of this life that we forget that there's an eternity that Christ has prepared for us. You see, the hope that we have today is not just a hope for a better job. It's not just a hope that our, our kids will turn out okay. It's not just a hope that, that, that I'll go out with this person tomorrow. It's not just a hope that I'll be able to buy that car. No, no, this is a new hope, a hope that's with a, a focus and a, a, a fix upon the future that Christ has for every single one of us, that this world is not our home, that we're literally just passing through. There's a hope of a preferred future in God that he has for every single person in this room. It's a living hope. It's alive. It's alive because the resurrection power of Christ is in those who believe. That's a living hope. And I want you to see what this living hope has. This living hope has a confident expectation of a preferred future in God. And then look at verse number four. To an incorruptible and undefiled inheritance that does not fade away. It's incorruptible. It's incorruptible. It's free from death. It's free from dying. It's undefiled. No sin. No sickness. No sorrow. See, this hope that we have is not just a salvation in the moment. It's a hope in the preferred eternity that God has for all those who believe. It's incorruptible. No death. No dying. Thursday morning, a Wednesday afternoon, I, I text uh, a couple that clean our carpets. Sometimes they clean the church's carpets. I've known them for about 10 years now, and they attend Faith Assembly. And I text the woman, and, and I asked her if she would clean the carpets. She said, I'll get back to you tomorrow. And so I called on Friday morning. And when I called, the person answered the phone. The person that I texted her name was Angela, and the girl that answered the phone, her name was Ashley. She said, hi, this is Ashley. I said, can I speak to Angela? She said, uh, I'm sorry, but Angela passed away Wednesday night. I said, what? I was in complete shock. She's 50 years old, skinny as a rail. She said she was laying on her couch, and she just died. She just died. And I mean, I just start, I mean, when I hear, I'm like in complete shock. I'm like, oh, I don't even know what to say. I'm so sorry. I started to cry. I was like, whew. That same afternoon, that same afternoon, Irene Pelletier, that, 
the, the woman that was, had come to City Church when we were back in the first theater 18 years ago and she worked the door. She had the strongest Denmark, I think she was from Denmark, right? The strongest Danish accent. She'd go out every Saturday for five years. She went every Saturday and knocked on doors with my wife and invited people to church. She was in great shape. That Friday morning, Irene discovered that there's an incorruptible and undefiled place. There's no more death. There's no more dying. I begin to think about this reality because sometimes I'm like you, man. I'm just thinking of the moment and I got this to do and I got this deal to do and I got to make this happen and our church is trying to build this building and we're trying to sell that property and all kinds of things in my world. And I can lose perspective of why I'm really here. It's easy to do. See, there's an inheritance, incorruptible, and it's undefiled, and it's reserved for you and I. It's the place that God has reserved for you and I today. See, that's the future hope that we have. That's the living hope. This earth is not our home. When we die, when we take our last breath, we will live. We will live eternity with the Father, or we'll live in eternity separated from the Father. But hear me today. Jesus said in John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will not die. Come on, you will not die. You're a living being who has a living spiritual spirit. It doesn't matter how man try to paint it today. There's a reality. There's a spiritual reality to eternity that God wants us to keep our focus on. See, these scattered Christians, these persecuted Christians who'd had a lot of terrible things happen to them, they could have been distracted by the moment. They could have complained about how terrible their government was and all the problems that they'd walked through in that life. But Peter said, no, no, no. There's a future glory. There's a future hope. When I got the message that Irene had passed away, I knew, we knew that she was very close. She was 88 years of age. And the last month, I mean, she was doing great. And the last month, she just went down quickly. And I just, I got the message that Angela passed and then Irene had just passed and it's what happens in my world more than probably most people because of my position. I just began to think of a song. It's an old song that we used to sing back when I was a kid in the church. It was written by, I don't know who it was written by, but it was sung by a guy named Andre Crouch. And the song went something like this. Soon and very soon, we were going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. And then no more crying there we are going to see the king no more crying there we are going to see the king no more crying there we are going to see the king hallelujah hallelujah we're going to see the king and then my favorite line no more dying there we are going to see the king no more dying there 
We are going to see the king. Come on, somebody help me out. No more dying there. We are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the king. <sighs> There's an eternal hope. There's a living hope inside of every person that responds to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The conviction of the Holy Spirit that says, God, I need you. God, forgive me. God, change me. God, live in me. Our challenge today, our challenge as we go forward today is that we allow this living hope to become a reality to each one of us in this room.